My honourable friend. My honourable friend. My name is Kirsty Styles, and I'm here with James Meadway, who's a senior economist at the New Economics Foundation for the weekly economics podcast, where this week we're going to be talking about last week's budget. We're going to look at what was in the budget and get James to pitch for what would be in his. I now call Mr Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Right Honourable George Osborne. Today I report on a Britain that is growing, creating jobs and paying its way. Five years ago... The deficit was out of control. Today, as a share of national income, it is down more than a half. Five years ago, they were bailing out the banks. Today, I can tell the House, we're selling more bank shares and getting taxpayers' money back. We set out a plan. That plan is working, and Britain is walking tall again. So last week was hashtag budget 2015 and we can all be left walking tall um, in our comeback country, according to uh, Chancellor George Osborne. So, James, you've obviously had a look at the budget. What should the headlines have been? Uh, All all spin and no substance, I think, would have been more appropriate, although obviously uh, much of the press chose to report this as the sun is shining once more and and all the rest of it. Uh, As Osborne has done for the last five years now, somewhat disturbingly, he's um, presented a bunch of figures, attempted to make uh, the best of a bad job, but really has very, very little to report in terms of, for example, meeting his original target on on closing the deficit. He's missed that by a a country mile and then some. The deficit this year is about £90 billion. He thought he was going to close it this year. He uh, claimed that uh, living standards would be rising over 2015. This is based on a projection as to what will happen over the rest of the year. Uh, essentially, living standards, as has become clear, have fallen since he, he became Chancellor. So again, it's this kind of spin, it's using numbers in this rather dubious fashion. So if the headlines reported on that, I think you get a more accurate impression of the thing. So in the budget, George Osborne said equality is down and the wealthy have shouldered the greatest burden uh, over the past five years. No, I mean, How it's, true is that? It, it's, it's complete. It's kind of farcical, some of this stuff. Look, if, you, if you're looking at inequality, if you take wealth inequality, it's clearly up. Uh, figures from the Social Market Foundation just a couple of weeks ago show you this very, very clearly. If you take uh, inequality of income, um, if you kind of ignore the impact that inflation has on different people across the population, you can sort of just about say perhaps Perhaps maybe inequality has changed somewhat. Nothing really to do with the government. It's very clear, even on the Treasury's own analysis, that over the last five years or so, this government has, with its tax and benefit changes, hit uh, the poorest hardest. The bottom 30% of the population have been made worse off by this government. That's entirely their their doing. So this idea that inequality has come down is, uh, I don't think, supportable. Once you take account of inflation, the Institute of Fiscal Studies here agreeing with what uh, Neff says about the effects of inflation on different people, inequality has risen uh, under this government. And George Osborne also talked about the uh, government debt and obviously how he's um, been been attempting to address that. You've already um, indicated a little bit of what was said, uh, but he said it's falling. What do, you, what do you say? Well, I mean, the debt, look, in absolute terms, uh, the debt is still rising. So if you take the total number, the amount actually owing, it's still rising. When Osborne says it's falling, what he's saying is that it's falling as a share of GDP. So you take the debt and you compare it to the size of the whole economy and you say, oh, it's a smaller share than it was last year. It's gone from about 80.6% to 
80.4%. That's the that's the the outcome we're looking at. So we can say now that he's met one of his targets in that debt is falling. He's only met this target really because of two things. One is very low inflation, which has reduced some costs to government. It's nothing to do with Osborne. That's the result of the oil price falling. The second one is that he's selling off a load of assets, uh, which he's allowed to count against debt, which makes debt fall, which means that he can claim debt is falling as a share of GDP. In absolute terms, it's rising. He's borrowed about £517 billion over the last five years. Wow. Um, So as a Northern powerhouse myself, James, I was pretty pleased to hear that the North-South divide appears to be closing. You've been past Watford. Is the North really catching up? Well, the gap between the two is getting bigger. I mean, what's happened under this government is is there has now been some growth over the last few years. It's just it hasn't been shared particularly evenly. So if you take uh, London, uh, jobs in London are up 10% since uh, 2010. London and the South up 10%. If you take the rest of England, they're only just back to where they were uh, before the crash. So really, the, the distribution of work, the distribution of growth is very, very uneven. So if Osborne can point to some recent uh, figures and say, oh, look, things are doing all right, really. You know, Yorkshire's made more jobs the whole of France. It's ignoring the kind of bigger picture, which is this unevenness in the economy. And of course, investment, uh, investment in infrastructure in particular, has fallen by about £15 billion since George Osborne became Chancellor. One of the very, very first things he did was really hammer capital spending. So the the, um, the schools, the new schools building programme that the previous government had introduced was cancelled. There were some very large expenditure on various bits of infrastructure they decided to cut. He's now trying to run and catch up with the decisions he took back in 2010, 2011. So it's not all doom and gloom here at the Weekly Economics Podcast. We're now going to have a little bit of fun. So last week, James, we got you to uh, pretend that you'd just become our new chancellor. Okay, so dream scenario, James. We've uh, had a hopefully bloodless revolution and you're our new chancellor. Is that is that a thing? Is that going to happen? Yeah. So we're going to rewind to the budget. You're the chancellor of the Exchequer. I think that makes me the leader of the opposition. So you're going to come up to the budget dispatch box and give us your pre-election giveaway. What would you say instead? I now call Mr Chancellor of the Exchequer. Well, the first one is, uh, I'd say very clearly and simply, that austerity has failed. It's failed people in this country. The only people it's worked for are uh, the coalition's friends in the city of London and maybe one or two others, and that we need to get rid of the target for uh, closing the deficit and get rid of the target for reducing debt as a share of national income. And we'll do this to make sure that we have proper funding for all those departments that aren't protected and make sure there's a bit of extra funding for things like the NHS and education and the rest of it. And we can do this because we know that when the government spends money, this creates more wealth in the rest of the economy. This means you get growth. It means you get people being paid more. It means you get more taxes back in. And that's how you should be running the economy, not this mad idea that just by cutting spending, uh, you'll be able to somehow also reduce the deficit. This has barely happened. Order. We want to get through this budget. The sooner we get through, the better, and then we can debate it. Chancellor of the Exchequer. The next one, I'm just going to rattle through these. Um, the next one I think I'll go for is one where you want to say, well, OK, well, how do you pay for that? The next one would be uh, go for tax avoidance. Revenue and customs and some analysis of their figures says that you could get about £25 billion in from tax avoidance. Now, this is not as easy as it looks. You need to get into the details of this. I think one of the things I'll be looking to do now that we don't have the austerity target is uh, say that you'd hire back, actually, a load of the people that George Osborne ended up seeing leave revenue 
genuine customs. These are highly skilled tax inspectors. These are the people you need to go out and find tax avoiders. And that for each you know pound that you put into uh, revenue and customs and employing tax inspectors and going after the very wealthy, going after the the you know the chronic avoiders and the rest of it, you get much more back in. So this is a sound investment. So you go for tax avoidance. You could get about twenty five billion pounds. You might fall a bit short on that, but that would start to help to pay for some of the other measures you want to introduce, which would also include, I think, uh, although Osborne flagged that he wants to increase the national minimum wage, is still below what's usually reckoned to be the living wage level, which is about £7.60, £7.80, rising to £8 uh, across the country and London. So I'd say you'd introduce a statutory living wage, you'd make it uh, basically illegal to employ people below that level. And you do this in the knowledge that some very good bit of analysis by uh, Howard Reid um, from last year shows that because people are earning more money, they're also spending more money and they're paying more in tax. So you can get about £3 billion in in taxes because people are paying more in tax because they're paid more. And you can create more jobs out of this because they're spending more. So if they're spending more, there's more work to be done. So you get about another 30,000 jobs out of just increasing uh, the national minimum wage to a living wage level. Order! Order! Just one second. Just one second. I'm suddenly to hear what the Chancellor of the Exchequer said, and I'm sure that all members in the House want to hear the Chancellor, but more importantly, so do our constituents. The final one I'd go for is something that Neff uh, reported on just a, a couple of weeks ago, which is what to do with this lumbering sort of elephant of uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland and what to do with this thing. Now, Osborne announced that he was selling off some of the, uh, some of the various banking assets that the government has held on to since the crash. This is how he's meeting his, his kind of debt reduction target. He said nothing whatsoever about the Royal Bank of Scotland, probably with a good reason, because it's a mess. We're suggesting breaking the thing up into 130 local banks. Uh, we think that by having local banks that are more in touch with what people want in local areas, they'll start lending to local businesses in a way that the big banks just don't do at all. I mean, lending to local, small businesses has fallen by about £9 billion in the last few years. My honourable friend. Oh, My honourable friend. So you're saying that you want to reward suited and booted civil servants. Damage big business, damage small business too, and you want to stop the taxpayer from benefiting from uh, our bank sell-off. You may have only one kitchen, James, as a youngish person living in London, um, but you're clearly using them to cook up some pretty mad policies. This is pure fantasy. Well, what's pure fantasy is the idea, and it's been demonstrated in practice over, over the last few years, as the previous uh, government suggested, that we can somehow cut our way back to growth, cut our way back to prosperity in this by uh, allowing the rich to run off and take all the shares of that uh, growth. This will produce a more equal society. What we're talking about here is a complete resetting of how we do economics and how we do economic policy in this country. That instead of being run for the benefit of a, not even a 1%, a 0.1% with whatever can be kind of one way or the other found for any else who's out there, oh, and P.S. really hammering uh, the poorest and the neediest in society with the successive benefits cuts. What we're talking about here is a society and an economy that works for the benefit of most people in it. And that means changing things. That means not saying that we're just going to cut and cut and cut the whole time. That means taking a rational, reasonable view of economic policy and saying that, look, when governments spend, it makes other people rich. That's why we should be looking at these things. That's why you end austerity. When banks work for people rather than for people who own banks, you can make everyone better off because they get out there and invest. That's what we're trying to do. Well, we're back in the room now, James. <laughs> Forget about the dispatch box. That was a very impassioned uh, uh, analysis or an outlining of uh, what you would do if you were Chancellor. And, um, you know, I'm your biggest fan. Um, so um, thank you so much again for um, for sharing that insight with us. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, similar stuff, more of the same. 
Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. If you have any questions about economics for James, then please get in touch with me at KirstyStyles1 on Twitter. If you've never listened to us before, check out all of our previous episodes, which have covered the global debt, inequality, Greece and inflation uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week. Second birthday. Is it? Yeah. Budget day. Is it? The yeah. only day that economists are interesting. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh! That's very mean. <laughs>